Welcome to the Penis Project podcast, connecting men through science, stories, solutions, but most of all, through support. This podcast was founded by myself and Dr. Joe Milios, a physiotherapist. To find out more about us, check out our website, thepenisproject.org. I'm Melissa Hadley-Barrett, sexologist and nurse practitioner specialising in men's intimate health. Join me as I break down the barriers surrounding men's health and have candid conversations about everything you've always wanted to know but were too embarrassed to ask. This podcast is dedicated to stories from men who have bravely recognised the importance of sharing their experiences, breaking down stigmas and having no filter chats about sexual health, cancer treatment and recovery, relationships and everything else in between. If you know someone who you think would benefit from this information, please share so we can help more people. We would also love it if you'd follow the podcast and give us a review. Welcome to the Penis Project podcast. Today we have Brooke Lieber on. Now, Brooke is 47 years of age and he had his prostate out on the 27th of June 2023. He was diagnosed a while previously to that, and he's only 47 years of age, and his brother has also had prostate cancer, and he has a family history. So we're going to talk to him about how his diagnosis came about and all the prep he did beforehand to make sure he was well and truly ready. Um, It's a really great story, and I'd just like to tell you all that Brooke, when we listen to his story, is a freak. And if you've been listening to the podcast before, you'll know that I call freaks the people who just get really great results really, really quickly. So if you're a year or two down the track and your results aren't as good as Brooks, please don't despair. You're normal and Brooks a freak. Hi. So welcome. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Hey, hey. You said uh, I was probably going to be pretty unpopular with a lot of people out there. I so. did. I love interviewing guys like you because it's becoming more and more common to see guys recover like you do because of all the, the, the improvements in treatment, but also... I, I worry that it depresses the blokes who are just getting ready, getting better at a normal rate. Oh, and, and yeah, it's good to hear that we are doing more and the message is getting out there and, mm. and, and we'll, we'll talk about it later. But mm. for me, I looked at the older guys and what they were going through, but I didn't hear a lot about younger guys. No, and, that's right. And those things, because it is more uncommon. So yeah. And younger guys do get better quicker. You just heal quicker when you're young. That's what my urologist said. Um, young, healthy, fit, you would rather battle it now than battle it in the future Yeah. Um, because your chances of a recovery will be more difficult and more prolonged. Mm. And so. I think also, you know, when you speak to someone who had this surgery five, ten years ago, you get a bit of a doom and gloom story and the trajectory of how much better people recover now is so different to before. And so it's so great to have positive stories like yours because that used to be a real freaky thing, but yep. this is more and more common all the time now. Happy to help. Okay, so let's go. Tell us what happened. Your first diagnosed when? So diagnosed dis- November, December 2022. Right. Um, l- and this is probably the most common question I get asked uh, by my friends and family uh, post like post everything. Mm-hmm. What were your symptoms? Yes, what were they? None. Yeah, that's normal. You're not going to have any. Mm -hmm. Um, And what I've learned along the way is how little, well, okay, not how little information, but how little knowledge is out there and that guys aren't proactive and the message isn't there, like compared to breast cancer or even mental health, um, prostate cancer, just, I don't know, the message isn't out there, the knowledge isn't out there. So Mm -hmm. um, the only reason I got tested is my brother. So my brother's two years younger than me. Um, He got diagnosed when he was 44 and he had his prostatectomy when he was 45. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so it, after he, everything that happened to him, that's what prompted me to go get tested. So um, getting a good GP is really difficult. I had a good GP and unfortunately he passed away and my brother put me onto um, my, well, our GP now. And I saw him for other tests and initially so I went in for a PSA test and he wanted to test me for everything else at the same time. And I just naturally assumed, being a stupid bloke, that doctors, when you got a blood test, it would test for everything else, mm-hmm. you know, all other cancers and all that. And it was only then that I discovered, unless you ask for it, they're not going to test for it. Mm. And especially with prostate cancer. Especially under 50. Exactly. Mm. Exactly. Like, um, so, and even following this, like, I've had friends go and see their GP saying, look, I want to get a PSA test. And the GP tell them, no, you're too young. Yeah. Um, it's real, real common story. Yep. So, and that's because the guidelines for GPs actually says in Australia to start testing at 50. They are hopefully going to be changed to keep up with the rest of the world. Yep. And it should be over four, at 40 if you have a family history, 45 to 50 otherwise. It's, it's a no-brainer. And, but this is the, the common running joke with guys. It's the finger up the bum and, and those sort of things. All it is is a blood test. Yeah, exactly. You know, just go get your blood test. Yeah, and also if... You know, Medicare doesn't cover it until you're 50 unless you have a family history, but it's not a very expensive test. So just offer to pay for it just to keep, keep yourself, you know, to know what's going on. Yep. And the other really important thing about PSA to remember is, yes, there's a, a guideline of where you'd like it to be, but the most important thing is that you've got a track record to see how yours is going up. Yeah, yep. and, and that was the very first thing that the, my GP said to me. Um, you know, there's not an exact science to it. There's a lot of different opinions about it. Um, so yeah, diagnosis. Mm-hmm. So initial PSA test, February, 2022, um, abnormal results, come back a couple months later with another one, abnormal results. And so he said, right, given your family history, we're going to send you off to, um, a urologist. Mm-hmm. So I went and saw, uh, Tom Shannon, uh, who was my brother's. Saw him and because of my family history, he goes, right, let's um, do another PSA test. Mm-hmm. And yep, uh, abnormal levels, MRI, MRI came back inconclusive. Wait another couple months um, for another PSA test, see if it came down. It didn't. So he goes, right, let's go off for a biopsy. So I went off and got that biopsy done and then got the results November, December 22, um, which came back positive. Mm-hmm. So... Compared to my brother, because um, he got diagnosed December 2021, um, his diagnosis was worse and he had to lose weight quickly and get ready for surgery. Mine was very early stages. So Tom said, right, go off to go, go have Christmas, enjoy yourself, come back in New Year and we'll set up a game plan. Yeah. So you went off and well and truly enjoyed yourself. Ate and drank plenty. Um, had the in-laws over from England, which probably made me drink a little bit more sometimes. I love mm-hmm. them to death, but everyone living together is hard. Yeah. Um, but yeah, going away, having that time, and then came in and saw them January 20, 2022 um, and set up a game plan. Mm-hmm. And initially, well, Initially, before seeing Tom, we went to Hollywood Hospital and saw the amazing ladies at the prostate clinic there. No, the prostate nurses are great. Amazing. Yeah. Really, mm. really good. Um, can't, can't speak highly enough of them. Now, and this is where your mind plays tricks on you. Um, so initially they said, right, your early stages of prostate cancer, um, you can watch and act. Mm-hmm. And so my brain said, oh, sweet. You're going to have like three to five years up your sleeve. Yeah. And we were planning on going to Europe um, this year. 
And I'm like, oh, sweet, we'll still be able to do that. And I'll just get a blood test every year. And I went and saw Tom uh, a couple of hours later and he looked at me like I was an idiot. <laughs> like, and, and in hindsight, when you looked at it and we spoke about it, if you had breast cancer and you had a lump, you're not going to sit on that thing for a year or two. But also, if you're offered a lifeline, you're going to try and take it. Yeah, yeah. But, and you are, but, and this is the podcast and other things, you're worried, you're worried mm. you know, and you're like, well, if I don't have to have surgery, how much, why do I have to disrupt my life this much? Mm-hmm. Um, because also you don't put your health first a lot of the time. No. So that was a bit of a wake up call. We went, okay, you know, Europe's always going to be there. You put yeah. things in perspective. Yeah. So we set up a game plan um, with what we had going on in our life and I wanted to take my time. I wanted to lose my weight properly. Yeah. So tell us, you were 103 kilos, weren't I, you? I was, no, 90, I was 91.3 kilos and yeah. had a waist size of 103 centimeters. centimeters. And we were aiming for less than 94. Yeah. So she said... Um, Weight, weight was a bit of a sliding goal, but somewhere in the seventies, yeah. and it was more the waist. Yeah, like get as close to ninety centimeters as possible. Yeah, um, and so compared to my brother who lost weight super rapidly, and but he lives he lived by himself, and he mm-hmm. said he would have been a very unpleasant person to be around. <laughs> yeah, um, we changed our diet. I put exercising as a priority. Um, I got two young girls, beautiful wife, very supportive family, and so we changed our lifestyle. Um, I changed my priorities and my non-negotiables mm-hmm. and just started pegging away at it. Yeah. And know. so, over, I mean, you used the Fast 800 book, which you were saying that you really recommend. That's, Amazing. Yeah, it yeah. is because the recipes are tasty. And the other mm-hmm. great thing about that is is you can just feed it to the kids and stuff, but they just eat larger quantities. Yeah, and also we sub things out. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I don't know, we're old school well, we were old school, um, the food triangle with yeah. um, rice and pasta and potatoes. Like we didn't eat badly. We ate well, but we probably ate too much of bad things. Yeah, too much carbs and yeah. too much sugar. So got rid of that, got rid of the sugar, um, got rid of the booze and the weight just fell off. Like yeah. it was crazy. And you went into, because you're a young guy, you did really kind of high intensity exercise yeah, too. So going you? to the gym and, and that was one of the, the hard things. That first month of going into, and I hate that word diet, mm-hmm. Um I hate the word diet because it's about weight loss. Diet should just be about a healthy diet. Yeah. Um, that first month was really difficult because yeah. the fast 800 for people who don't know, you're meant to only be on 800 calories and the average male was meant to do 2000. Mm-hmm. And then my nutritionist, like, cause I was the youngest guy there, they've, their program is set up for guys older than me. Yes. So hop on an exercise bike for an hour. Or, or whatever. And that's not how I exercise. Mm. Um, I like boxing. I mountain bike. Um, I do PT sessions at the gym. I wasn't eating enough calories to sustain everything. And my GP was actually worried that I could hurt myself and yeah. potentially even have a heart attack. So it was a bit of a sliding curve of getting into the groove of diet and exercise. Mm-hmm. But we got there. Yeah. You know, and apart from the keto dump in the afternoon, um, it, it worked It worked well. Like I wasn't hungry and I was doing that fasting and I never understood what ketosis was, but doing that 16 and 8 thing, um, it, it worked for me. And that, that's one of the big things, finding something that works for you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so over the time between then until surgery, what, what, do you, what was your belly measurement in the end? So I got down to... Oh, I think it was 90. 92 centimetres, yeah. I think, as a waist. And mm-hmm. I got down to 73 kilos. 
Yeah. So I lost 20% of my body weight, which in hindsight is insane. Yeah. And also you probably didn't really feel like a fat bastard, did you before? Oh, I did. <laughs> Look, everyone lives in their own little bubble yeah. and they put on their, their glasses and, you know, their priorities and they'll make excuses. I knew I was unfit. Yeah, I, okay. I knew I wasn't healthy. I was a good dad. I work hard, but my priorities were all skewed up. Yeah. And so this, in a sad way, is the kick up the ass that I needed to turn my life around mm-hmm. and change my priorities and, and eat better and exercise. And and you just felt happier. Mm-hmm. Like, um, you know, psychologically, all the endorphins and, and our marriage and the kids and just all these side benefits of changing the diet and exercising have just been amazing. And also... You know, you're spending more time, quality time with your family now, aren't you? Because you're not working as hard and you're putting more priority into that correct, stuff. Correct, correct. Yeah. Like, um, you know, we just by changing what we ate, my wife, there's nothing of her, but she still lost three kilos. Yeah. And just the effects of one or two glasses of wine on our sleep or mm-hmm. her sleep more specifically, by cutting out those sugars and just doing a little bit of exercise a day, she sleeps much better. I sleep much better. Like I used to snore loads. Now I don't snore. Um, and not I don't suffer from anxiety or those sorts of things. But you're knocking out the bad habits. Yeah. And you're concentrating on the good habits. And you're also setting an amazing example for your two girls. Exactly. Exactly. Um, well, there's a great saying that I heard. Um, the stronger the tree, the more bountiful the fruit. Uh-huh. Okay. And so it's it's just people know what they need to do. Mm. And it's times like this where you're, you're either going to step up or you're not. And there's nothing like a cancer diagnosis to make you do that. I have heard so many men tell me 12 months post-op that their life is better because of their prostate cancer diagnosis. And that sounds like such an oxymoron, mm. but I get it. Like it's, you think you're 47 now, you know, I don't know if you've ever read the book. It's hilarious. Fit, fabulous and 50. Nah. I mean, you'll be that now. Yep. You know, it's like a guy who was turning 50 and he decided to change his life in that year. Yep. And he did. Brilliant. You know? And so recently you've um, been back to your GP as well, haven't you? And all your blood markers are different. Oh, it was, so when I saw him in 2022, he did like full, full analysis. Um, I was uh, obese. I was at risk of diabetes, heart disease, all those things. Mm-hmm. Uh, just saw him the other week and I'm like over 30% down on all those levels. Yeah. Um, he did my blood pressure and he goes, that's the best blood pressure I'll probably see of anyone all week. That's so great. He goes, you, you're not, you don't have anything to worry about. Yeah. So you, you've done all the right things and it's things that people know they need to do. They just don't make the time for it. Yeah. So we've made for the time for it and yeah, like now I'm, touch wood, going to have a healthy and happy life. Recently, one of my mates was diagnosed with um, heart arteries blocked and he's like 60 and he's a great fun guy, lived life to the full, yeah. um, partied a bit too much and it has been a big shake up for him and he's completely changing his life now, but wow. wouldn't it have been so much better if he he's had to have open heart surgery to do this, Ooh, you know? Wow. So I only think about you know, if you had to kept living your life that way, you could have been that person, but you've yep. got to wake up cool 13 years earlier. Oh, and, and and happiness. Mm, yeah. You know, you, you think you're happy, but are you happy? Mm. And and all those sorts of things. Yeah. So, yeah, it, it, but we've got lots of family uh, who have had cancer and friends and we've lost people along the way. Prostate cancer, as much of a shock as it is, if you put the yards in, you, you're going to make a recovery. Yeah, well, it's also a bit like a second chance, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. 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 So 
it's it's the best like in a sick twisted way it's the best thing that ever happened to me. <laughs> it's yeah, it. well but isn't there some expression about that you know making lemonade from lemons or something yep yeah something yeah. like that can't yeah. remember what it is and so yeah like changed diet did the exercise did everything right um to get ready for surgery um the only thing was like the mental aspect of it um mm-hmm. i was saying to you i really like the podcast but i had to stop listening right. to it because mm. uh, it just freaked me out like i heard all these older guys um who had like problems and understandable because of age and all mm. these sort of things and i thought like what if that's me you yeah. know, do, I, do i need to do this like mm-hmm. am i making the right decision like or can i buy myself a few years yes yeah and so after three months it was like a pregnant lady <laughs> Like get this thing out of me. Um, so four months was probably a bit too long, in, yeah. in all honesty. But the post-surgery results have been amazing. So I'm glad so. I did that. I hope you're enjoying today's episode. And as a thank you for being a part of our podcast community, I have an exclusive offer for you. If you would like our assistance with sexual health, head on over to www.melissahadleybarrett.com forward slash programs and use the code TPP5 at the checkout. Here you will find everything you need to know to be on the path to penile perfection. And now, back to our episode. Okay, so let's talk about post-surgery because this is where you've turned into being a freak. Up until now, <laughs> you've been pretty normal. So I saw you three weeks post-op. Mm-hmm. And tell me what you told me. So you were expecting to come in. I was going to give you a penis pump. Probably going to teach you how to do injections because I know yep. you were pretty keen on getting it happening pretty quickly. Oh, was, needles freaked me out. <laughs> so all these things, I was like, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God. And I'm actually, you bounded in looking extremely happy with yourself, a lot skinnier than the last time I'd seen you. And tell me, what happened? Full recovery. Um, Three but, weeks post-op. So first of all, how did you find the catheter when you had that oh, in? Oh, excruciating painful. Yeah, you hated it. Didn't I hated you? it. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I'm I'm fine with blood and guts and things like that, but I'm hopeless with medical. Mm-hmm. The catheter for me was the worst part of the whole surgery, mm-hmm. um, and the worst part of the catheter is getting an erection while the catheter is still in you. Well, most people don't have that, so it's kind of like a double-edged sword. You should be encouraging it, but being <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I was so. I, I learned a lot of things from my brother's surgery because mm-hmm. I looked after him and so I got an electric recliner and, and all these sort of things and I was expecting to, because he, his exercise and mine were different and so my core was a lot stronger. So I was a bit expecting to be in a lot of pain, which I just wasn't. Like, yeah, right. I, I didn't experience post-surgery pain really. Mm-hmm. Um, the only pain was the catheter and yeah, there I was on the recliner sitting back and then old mate starts growing and I yelled out to my wife crap yeah and like she's excited uh because you know she doesn't have a tube sticking out of her non-existent penis (laughs) and and you you know seeing you pre-surgery you're told six to six months to two years yeah you know it could be that yep so to start getting an erection while you still got the catheter in there is good but bad yeah it, it was bad and also the catheter was sort of blocked as well. Oh yeah, um, you did have in some the hospital issues. and then yeah. afterwards. So, so that was that was probably the the worst part of everything. And like any injury or anything you go through in life, at the time it seems really bad. But you fast forward the clock three weeks, five weeks, whatever, and you can't even remember it. So when they took it out, was mm-hmm. that that should have been painless? I hope it was. No, it was 
It was pretty yeah. much. Yeah. Um, the, the worst part was the night before I was getting it out and it was blocked. Okay. And um, luckily my brother's partner is a nurse and I called her up and she's like disconnected and slided it, slided in and out. And I'm like, oh God. Um, and it was draining, but then it just drained like I three, 400 mil in one hit. Yeah. And okay. so all that liquid was in me. And not yeah. So it was out. hurting. Yeah. 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 But yeah, um, going to, uh, the nurses at Hollywood, they're amazing. Got that out and yeah, just gave me the rundown on everything. Great. Um, so that they were really good. So that aspect of it was fine. Um, and, and then did you leak? No, like, um, I didn't. And that was, that was the surprising part about all of it. Like, erections i didn't have continence issues um really like there was a little bit like after you've gone to the after you've mm -hmm. gone to the toilet mm -hmm. a little bit of dribble afterwards but i could hold i could hold everything if that yeah, makes sense and amazing. i chose when i went to the toilet and all those sorts of things yeah so you never really needed to wear pads or anything did you? i did as a precaution mm -hmm. um and but didn't really need to that much. Yeah. Um, and the only time since then, so I'm almost seven weeks post-op. Mm -hmm. I've, I've fortunately, but unfortunately had a couple of mates 50th birthdays <laughs> and, you know, I'm still going to, and this is one of the things that my urologist said post-surgery, enjoy life. Mm. You know, like you've beaten cancer. Um, so the only continence issues I've really had is end of the day at a 50th birthday, too much time on my feet, too many beers and mm. I'll do little squirts. Yeah, but, you know, and I always say to guys, just wear a pad if you're going to go out drinking for a Which while. Which is what I did. Yeah. Um, but apart from that, yeah, no, no issues at all. Perfect. And, and like I said to you when we caught up afterwards, um, yeah, uh, erections, sex. So wait a minute. How long did it take you after the catheter came out to go, okay, I want to see what he can still do? Well... A week, less than a week. No, oh, come um, on. I reckon it would have been a day. You would have been nah. it a oh, Honestly, and this is the funny thing. So much of this is probably mental than physical. Mm -hmm. well, actually, this part probably a bit physical as well. But we were coming to see you. Yeah. And I said to my wife, look, we need to give this a go. You know, <laughs> and, and look, after the catheter came out, I was getting erections. Yeah, right. Um, you know, your morning glory, that sort mm -hmm. of thing. So all of that was functioning. But. I didn't really feel like having sex. Right. Um, so you thought you'd just take one for the team because yeah, you were coming to see me. Well, more importantly, I think my wife took one for the team. <laughs> <laughs> um, and yeah, just to, but yeah, like I didn't have any of those issues. Great. Um, so coming and seeing you for that first time post-surgery where pre-surgery I was worried about penis pumps and injections and pills and I didn't, I didn't have any of those problems. I think you told me you were, you'd had sex that day. Or the night before it was, mm -hmm. and you were getting morning and nighttime erections, and you were extremely proud of it all. Oh, I was very proud of myself, <laughs> you know. Like, and I was like, "Crap! If the surgeons keep getting this good, I'll be out of a job." <laughs> well, and this is where that um, that podcast, like, you hear the horror stories. Yeah, you do. And didn't. you know, uh, suicide and mental like depression mm. and. And you're like, oh, that could be me. Mm -hmm. And so your mind goes to those places. And so to come out of it the other side and see that all that hard work and effort. Paid off. Paid off mm -hmm. by 100%. That really does. Um, and it, it made everything, yeah, like the recovery was there. The only thing that 
concerned me when I saw you is that you were going to go too hard too fast. So talk to us about that. That was the, so yeah, that was the hardest thing. Um, the, so the best thing post-surgery, eating. <laughs> you know, eating and and what was amazing, and this put things in perspective, but then when I saw you afterwards, like was a wake-up call. So I ate whatever, right. you know, for two weeks, three weeks after surgery, even a little bit now, to be honest, mm-hmm. but, and I didn't put on a kilo. Yeah, right. You know, so it demonstrated, like, and I wasn't exercising because you're not allowed mm-hmm. to exercise. You've got to lay flat. You can't do anything. Um, so I was eating and not putting on weight. So mm-hmm. it showed that your body was actually, you needed all that energy. To heal. To heal. Yeah. And that's the hardest thing post-surgery for me, not ec- not exercising like I used to. Mm-hmm. And you told me that story about that gentleman. Um, so and- for anyone listening, I'll give you a recap. I might've talked about him before, but I had a guy probably a year, two years ago now, who was a very, very fit guy, had been running marathons, doing all sorts of things and... Post-surgery, he came in, he had had a very good early recovery and I was like, please be careful about the amount of exercise you do and he pushed the envelope and now two, two and a half years later, he's still leaking, he's lost the erectile function that he got back and he just is pretty miserable and I just think that, you know, no matter, nobody's made of steel and you just do need to let your body heal. And that was the big wake-up thing for me Um, because... As soon as I got the all clear from the physio and yourself, mm-hmm. I started slowly exercising. Yeah. And what I mean by exercise, and this was the hardest thing for me because I was going to the gym every day. Mm-hmm. I was walking with the wife. Like I, I was doing a good hour and a half to two hours exercise a day. Yeah. And now the very first thing I did was, a, like they said pre-surgery, if you can do a five-minute walk, you're doing well. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, whatever. And initially, my first walk was about 15 to 20 minutes, but it was just around the block where I would have done four laps of that. Yeah. I could barely do a lap and I was exhausted. Yeah. So like, listen abs- to your body. I was, and that was one of the things, listen to your body. But my body said, no, you can do more. Mm-hmm. And and everyone was saying, and you told me that story, and that's when I went, actually, no. Mm-hmm. And so from being so active to going, okay, do a 10 minute walk, then go and rest for six hours and, mm. and all of that. I, the, the journey back has been really slow, yeah. like really, really slow. And, and there's only so much Netflix and PlayStation you can do and stuff yeah. like that. But you got to, you have to listen to you guys. But you've seen the physio this morning and she's given you all the clear to get back on your bike. It's, and this is the thing, no different to um, pre-surgery, mm-hmm. that game plan. Yep. Post-surgery, there's a game plan as well. Yep. And even though I felt good, like, and, and this is the thing, it's waves, like waves of exhaustion. Um, and you might feel good at one point and then you're absolutely shattered the next. I find that most guys feel really tired up until 12 weeks post-op and then they'll say, oh, I feel normal again. But yep. at the point you are, which is seven weeks, they're yep. still going, it's weird. I feel totally normal and then I just feel stuffed. Yeah. And talking to people. And just rest yeah you know like when you feel like that rest listen to your body and how often do you get to do it yeah like how often do you get to sit back and you know watch netflix or movies and exactly and ta- take some time for yourself so that that's been hard but setting up the game plan with the physio slowly doing my recovery and doing things right yeah and and so i'm like seven weeks in and she's given me my next four weeks mm-hmm. of, of ramping things up 
Um, and this is one of the things, and I, I might get in trouble for this. Um, my urologist, Tom, is a very optimistic guy. Yes. And he's very, very fit. Mm-hmm. And post-surgery, he's like, within four weeks, you'll be mountain biking and doing everything. Like, And everyone else said, don't listen to Tom. <laughs> <laughs> because... Tom, like Tom is there f- f- to cure cancer and, and he is an amazing surgeon, mm-hmm. but like you said, he is not the one there for the post-surgery recovery. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the, the physio and yourself and the, um, health nurse. And mm-hmm. so taking his advice with a grain of salt, but being optimistic mm-hmm. but then setting up that game plan and, and slowly working towards it, that was the best thing. Yeah. Good. And, and not beating myself up, but like it is hard now cause I've put on a couple of kilos um, but I'm, and this is what I have to keep telling myself as soon as I'm three months done, you'll get rid of it again. I'll lose it in two seconds. Exactly. And you just have to think as well, you know, it's the long game. It's yep. not the short game. And it, you can't see it. No, no. You look skinny like as. That, well, like, yeah, I'm not as fit as I used to be, but you can't see all the stuff putting itself back together. Mm. And, and that's the biggest thing. And, and like I've had a few mates 50th birthdays. Um, which are like the triple whammy of, <laughs> of bad food, bad, but alcohol. Like you're, it's the end of the day, mm-hmm. so you're, you're tired. Mm-hmm. And at a 50th birthday, there's not a lot of chairs, so you're standing up. You're going to drink too much fluid at the wrong time of day. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's when I have worn a pad and I have had a few little squirts and things like that. But apart from that. And you're also probably giggle, laughing a bit, yeah. you know, it's like, yep. geez, you know, yep. all that stuff's happening. So, yeah, but apart from that, having that game plan and and everything is going well, touch wood. That's great. And, and, and not doing too much. So the one thing I'd just like to touch on again before we go is you've noticed as well that there's a bit of we coming out when you climax. Yep. It's called climactory and we've talked about that a bit on the show, but that was a bit of a shock, wasn't it? It was. Like you you said pre-surgery that something like that could happen and, um, you know, it, it's weird when I tell my friends and family that post-surgery you're not going to ejaculate anything. <laughs> yeah. You know, like that's, oh, hang on, how does that happen? And so then post-surgery, I wasn't. Yeah. And so I had weeks of nothing and then all of a sudden it's just gone, hey, how are you doing? Yeah, right. And yeah, you you when you're climax, you're basically weeing mm-hmm. like a little bit, not a lot. Yeah. But um and then it's a like, uh. Oh, mm. You know, it's a like if it wasn't a win or a loss, it was a draw. <laughs> like <laughs> nothing happens from there. So yeah. that that was a bit of a shock. Yeah. With, um, with that. So I've given you a lasso today to try out and tell me how it goes. And um yeah, also for anyone listening who has climacteria, I'm about to do a research study with um, a new type of ring that I want to try. So if you send us an email and you want to be involved, um, I still need about another 10 people on my list to start that because I'm doing hoping to get 50 guys. So I'll give you one of those as well, Brooke, give to try. Um, the good thing about this new type of ring is if it works for climactery, it will still let the arterial blood flow in. So you'll still have a nice pink penis instead of a blue one, which you can get a bit when you use a lasso, <laughs> but we'll try that out. It isn't uncommon for climactery or arousal leakage to happen. And it usually does settle with time. It just happens. And boy, it can happen at any time. Like, yeah, yeah. And it usually means, I mean, at the beginning, most guys have it initially and then it gets better. Mm-hmm. Um, but when it comes back after a while, it's usually because they've got a bit slack with their pelvic floor, haven't been doing it as many times a day, or 
they've started gone back to work, so their pelvic floor is a bit tighter at the end yep. of the day when they're going to try and have sex. And it will get used to it. It'll adjust. It yep. just does take time. Occasionally, guys are left with that problem. Um, and if that's the case, then there is some surgery, some really kind of non-invasive surgery that we can offer to fix that. Yep. But I wouldn't be worrying about that until you're at least 18 months post-op. And I think that's where... You know, like my message is you put the yards in, listen to you guys, and you're going to have a stronger chance of success. Yeah. You know, pelvic floor exercises aren't fun. They're boring mm. as batshit. Yeah. But that's one of the biggest things that you worry about and you you don't want to have that problem going forward. Yeah. I mean, even for us women, you know, once you have a baby, you got to do them your whole life. And I completely forget to do them until I jump on a trampoline and go, oops, better be doing them again. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. 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 But no, apart from that, it's all um, going uh, going well. And the big thing for me is, like, I'm a big mouth, um, just telling guys. Yeah, so you've organised like a prostate cancer awareness month at work. <laughs> yeah, we've, we've got like a, I work for a big building group, JWH group, shout out. <laughs> shout out. Um, and, you know, building industry like is fairly male dominated. Mm -hmm. um, and the scary question, like I said before, what symptoms did you have? None. Um, the amount of guys that I've spoken to and even older guys who said, oh, my dad had prostate cancer and he didn't have any of those problems. Mm. I said, well, your dad probably never spoke about it. Yeah, exactly. And never had any of those issues because mm. we live in a different place now. Yeah. So, yeah, going on this and then um, I've got a colleague in his 70s who's mm -hmm. had a different journey with his prostate um, diagnosis. Mm -hmm. So, we're just trying to, you know, within our company, get a bit of knowledge out there and get people more aware. Yeah, and I just think talking about it is just the best thing. If people talk about it, then other guys will go, oh, it's next time I go to the doctor, I'll just ask for a blood test. Yeah, it's it's nothing mm. and it can save your life. Yeah. And like my my pop had other diagnosis that mm. all came from probably initially prostate cancer. But the other thing as well is it isn't just going to save your life. It, in like the case of yours, it's probably prevented you getting other illnesses like cardiovascular diseases and Correct. diabetes down the track. Yep. Like it's actually made your life better really. Yeah, exactly. And we, we, we see the stuff about um, breast cancer and mm. all this sort of stuff, but you just don't really see it about prostate cancer. No. And from what I've learned from you and the podcast and everything else, like one in five guys. Yeah. One, yeah, one in six now. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Like it's, it's, it's a lot. scary, the stats. Mm -hmm. And yet you speak to every single guy and none of them know about it. No, that's right. So yeah, like I'm, I'm just trying to help out people like, like my brother helped me yeah. and, and like by going on the podcast as well, um, you know, I heard a whole bunch of older guys who had, who weren't as lucky as me and hopefully my story can help some of the younger guys so that they don't freak out, mm. um, when, when they get diagnosed and, and they know that they can make a full recovery as well. Well, on average now, each episode gets at least a thousand downloads in the first two weeks. So that's at least a thousand guys are going to hear the story. So thank you so much for coming in. My pleasure. I really appreciate it. It's great. And it was really wonderful to hear your story. And um, hopefully you're not too offended by being a freak. <laughs> no drivers at all. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks a lot. Bye. Thank you for listening to today's episode of The Penis Project. If you're enjoying this podcast, I would love it if you could leave a review and subscribe for regular updates. Your support plays a big role in spreading awareness and helping more men to access this information. The more followers we have, the more podcast platforms that recommend our show to others. This might be just the place where your friend, brother, neighbour with lingering questions finally discovers the answers. Stay connected with me on social media and join the Melissa Hadley Barrett email list 
for news about upcoming podcast episodes, blogs, and lots more. If you have a personal story that you'd like to share or you're a health professional working in this field, I would love to hear from you. If you'd like to be a guest on the podcast or a listener with specific topics you'd like us to cover, please send me an email at admin at melissahadleybarrett.com. Thanks again for being a part of the Penis Project podcast community. And until next time, take care.